If you have your Bible, if you'll turn it to the book of Acts, if you've been in Family of Grace any amount of time, you may find this hard to believe, but <clears throat> we are actually about to finish this book, amen? only took us two summers and uh, half of the fall, but uh, man, it has been so relevant to see the early church and then where we are today and how God wants to move in our hearts and lives. Today we're going to be, if you'll turn to the book of Acts, we're going to be looking in chapter 27. And uh, finding our place there this morning. Also, um, I want to talk to you today about the subject of um, the gathering clouds of victory. Storm clouds. People either run to them or from them. You know, either one or two camps. You're either fascinated by it and you want to get as close to it as you can and see everything about it. Or you want to run from it. And, uh, but I want to talk to you about when storm clouds gather that are actually, actually clouds of victory. But if we're not careful, we'll look at the wrong perception of what God is trying to do. The perfecting storm, if you will, storms gain such a negative connotation, but God uses storms in our life. To bring about the perfecting of the saints is what his word says. You may remember a few weeks back in Acts chapter 23. And you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you real quickly. In Acts 23, Paul found himself in a predicament amongst the Sanhedrin. They were divided of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And in verse 11 of 23, it says, But that night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now I want you to think about this verse because so many times we have the human propensity to want to be angry with God because, or or not angry, that may be a a bit of a uh, ministerial overreach, if you will, but frustrated. Frustrated with God because... He doesn't tell us the end goal. He doesn't tell us what it's going to look like, where we're going to end up. But he just gives us just enough light for the step that we're on. And then we get agitated, if you will, because we're on this step and we have just enough light for it, but then we don't really know the end goal. Now, Paul was an interesting man. Paul, we know from going through the book of Acts, was a persecutor of the church, killed Christians, was very religious, but was not, did not have righteousness, did not have a relationship with Christ. God radically transformed his life by the appearance of Jesus in his life, and Paul became one of the prince of preachers. Now, modern-day church planner. He was church planner extraordinary everywhere he went. You remember last summer we talked about this? Everywhere he went, everything he touched turned to a church, basically. Every town he went through. Now, Paul finds himself getting a word from Jesus. It says, and, and Jesus stood by him and said, Be of good cheer. You're going through a lot. Everywhere you go, chains await you. Uh, persecution awaits you. But be of good cheer because... You're going to testify to in Rome the same way you testified in Jerusalem on my behalf. Now, here's the thing. When Paul said that, that's basically all he could think of. 
Many times God doesn't give us the end destination because if he gave us the destination at the end, all we could think about was where we were going, where we we were going to end up. And we would become so preoccupied with the end that we would miss what God was trying to do in the middle. Now, Paul was a great man of God, and God gave him a word right here, and it's an interesting word. And so today, we're going to go through some verses, and we're going to see what the Lord is telling us here. And uh, you may remember last week's service, we looked at uh, three men, Festus, Felix, and Agrippa, and they ended up, the sum of their all of their counsel was that had this man not appealed to Caesar, he could have gone free. <clears throat> However, Paul did not want to go free. Because in three chapters earlier, God gave him a word. Says you're going to Rome. <clears throat> if he, he'd have had to pay his own way. Of being a prisoner, the devil was going to pay his way to Rome. So in that context, here's what we see. Now, I want to read for you. I want to summarize some scriptures. And if you just kind of hold your place there in Acts 27, I'll tell you where we're at. But in verse 1 it says, So they decided that we would sail to Italy. And they delivered Paul there and some other prisoners. And they put him on this Alexandrian ship in verses uh, 2 through 7. And uh, man, in verse 8, it says, it was a difficult time sailing. Uh, it was under great difficulty. They made it this place called Fair Havens. In verse 9, it says, Now when much time had been spent sailing and was now dangerous, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster and there will be much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but even our lives. Verse 11 of 27 says this, nevertheless, the centurion persuaded the helmsman of the ship and the owner to sail even the more because the place they were at was not a suitable place to lay up for the winter, if you will. So here's what it says in verse 17. Now when they had taken aboard, they were under siege. And verse 16 says they were, they were I mean verse 14, they were caught in this tempt, in this temptus and the wind arose and it was beating about their ship and they caught, they could not head into the wind and let her drive. Now running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, it says that they were there with great difficulty. Verse 17 says, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground and, and, and they struck sail and were driven. And because they were exceedingly in the tempest, tossed back and forth, the next day they said, we need to lighten the ship. So they took it on their selves and the next few verses, it says on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard uh so th with their own hands now look at what verse 20 says and this is important highlight this on your smart device underline it in your old-fashioned bible whatever you will if you don't have either one borrow an ink pen and write this verse on, on in your palm of your hand amen and look at what it says now when there was neither sun nor stars appeared for many days verse 20 and no small tempest beat on us all hope was lost that we would be saved. And then we finally were given up. But. Verse 21. After long abstinence from food. Then Paul a man of God. With a word from God. Stood up in their midst. And said to them men you should know. And you should have listened to me. Good I told you so here. You should have listened to me and not sail. And you should not have done that. And uh, we should have never left Crete. 
And all this disaster would not and loss would not have incurred. Now I urge you, take heart. Verse 22, write this in the palm of your hand. Verse 22, get this. And now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me, verse 23, an angel of the Lord, and said, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you and all those who sail with you to make it. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. And then they go through this middle of the night and they put down these four anchors in the next few verses. And I'm not going to get into that. That's next week's sermon. And they get into these four anchors and there they are. And so finally, in the morning dawns, they cut the anchors and they run the ship aground. And it says right here, an interesting dynamic, and the ship was wrecked in verse 39. And so now there they are in a shipwreck. Now, what I want to talk to you today is about a perfecting storm. You say, well, pastor, everything you read doesn't sound too perfecting. Well, I want you to know a good life verse is the book of Nahum chapter 1. I know it's not every day you, somebody tells you, here's a good life verse out of the book of Nahum. But in the book of Nahum chapter 1, it says, God has his way in the whirlwind, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. You see, storms are used by God to run us to him when nothing else will. I mean, I'm just telling you today, let a storm show up, it'll increase prayer life like never before. I mean, it'll have, I mean, I don't care what kind of storm it is. Is it a natural storm, a natural disaster? Is it a hurricane, a tornado, whatever it is? I mean, storms physically will run you to Jesus like nothing else will. Storms in your life, marital storms, parental storms, financial storms, uh, job storms, pick one, health storms, whatever they are. I mean, it'll increase your prayer life like nothing ever before. And what's interesting is storms always have have a purpose. But we look at the storms and we think there's nothing good that can come out of it. But I want you to know that God is always working because God has his way. Say that with me. God has his way. I'm telling you today, no matter what's happening in your life, God wants to have his way. You may think it's caught you off guard. You may think you didn't realize it. You don't know where it came from, from the right or from the left, from up or from down, from behind you. I don't care. You say, God, all seems to be lost. But I want you to know that in the midst of the storm, there stands a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. When those disciples were out in that little water-going vessel and they thought it was going down and they were bailing water out and some were rowing and they were panicking, guess who showed up walking on water? King Jesus. And today my friends, no matter where you are, no matter what kind of storm you may be looking at or walking through, those dark clouds don't have to be despair. Is the sun not shining? Is the stars not not shining. It doesn't have to mean the end. It could just mean a brand new beginning. God is on the throne. See, Paul was bound by a storm. Go back. Acts chapter 23. 
Paul, an angel of the Lord, came to him and said, Everywhere you go, persecution is going to await you. And then he even spoke that to somebody in the early church. You remember that sermon in the book of Acts where that man showed up with a belt? And he said, The man who wears this belt everywhere he goes is going to be persecuted. He's going to be chained and he's going to face affliction. I'm telling you that God spoke that to Paul. He affirmed it by somebody else. And Paul was bound by a storm. He had been in jail for years in last week's sermon. But God moved in three different political leaders' life to come up with the same answer. Now you tell me that's not a miracle. I mean to get three politicians to agree on something is a miracle. And they all said this man could have gone free had he not appealed to Caesar. But Paul was bound by a storm. And in this dynamic, what I want you to realize is that God came to Paul and he said, be of good cheer. And right now, in the margin of your Bible, I want you to write a note to yourself that says, be of good cheer. Because I'm telling you today that God is on the throne. I know about perfecting storms. I know about gathering storm clouds of victory. I know that when the darkness comes, it doesn't mean the sun is gone. Because I am telling you that just because you cannot see the S-U-N, it does not mean the S-O-N is not on His throne. It does not mean that He is not shining forth the light. Because my Bible tells me in the book of Revelations, it says that in the heavens there is no need for no sun or no moon or no stars because there is is no artificial light. There is no light manufactured by God because the S-O-N, Jesus Christ, is the very Son of God. And today, my friends, I want you to realize if the dark clouds in your life are so dark that you can't see the S-U-N, I want you to know the S-O-N is still shining. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Oh my goodness. And he who walks in me shall not walk in darkness. Can somebody just say amen? Praise the Lord. He who has the sun has the light. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. What a great life verse. And that dynamic, what the Lord is telling us is that Paul was bound up in this storm. Paul said, we we just need to wait it out. Let's stay in this little harbor here. But you see, even the prince of preachers, even the greatest church planner that ever lived, when God gave him the end goal, he was so preoccupied with the end goal that he missed what God was wanting to do right there in the midst. Why? Because I'm telling you that if you're not careful, I don't care how close you're walking with God, the storm will blind you. When you're bound by a storm and you can't seem to shake it, don't get down. Don't let the despair overwhelm you. Don't become so blinded by the storm that you can't see God's hand working in the midst of it. Storms are interesting because the depth perception becomes so bad and we can't see clearly. That's why they ask you, turn on your headlights. Turn on your flash. You see people with flashers on when it is raining so hard because they can't see clearly where they're going. And the depth perception, you can run up on something without even realizing it. And so, my friends, if we're not careful, all that Paul could see was Rome. All he could see is that i got to get to Caesar. i got to get to Caesar. He was so preoccupied with getting to Rome because God told him he was going to Rome. That's all he could see. But I'm telling you that while all Paul could see was Rome and all that Paul could see was Caesar, you know all that Jesus could see was a little dot of land out there in the middle of this body of water, a little private island, if you will, that was called Malta. It was called Malta. 
And so all that Paul could see was Rome, but all that Jesus could see was Malta. Let me read it for you there in verse 39. Now, when it was day, they recognized a little piece of land, but they observed a bay with a beach on it. I mean, even Jesus gives a little beach picture here. Can I get a witness? Amen. So there's a beach there and onto which they plan to run the ship if possible. And so now when they let go of the anchors and they begin to move forward, verse 28 says that they ran this ship aboard. I mean, not 28, chapter 28. They ran this ship aboard in verse 1. And now when they had escaped, they then found out that there was an island there called Malta. And the neighbors showed us unusual kindness. For they even kindled a fire for us and they made us welcome because it was cold and it was raining at that moment in verse 3 says but when Paul had gathered together a bundle of sticks stay with me right here guys this is a good part Paul gathered together a bundle of sticks and he laid them on the fire when he was laying them on the fire a viper came out of the heat and fastened onto his hand so when the natives saw this creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt, with no doubts, they said to one another, this man is a murderer whom through whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. See, Paul was on a boat with a bunch of prisoners. He wasn't the only prisoner. They saw this viper lay a hold of Paul's arm and they said, well, this prisoner right here, he's a murderer and he thought he was going to escape. But God just took him out. Viper came out of the middle of the fire. And so here's what it says. But Paul, in verse 5, shook it off. He shook that creature off into the fire, and he suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But after... After they had looked at him for a long time and they saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said, he's not a murderer. He's a God. Little G. In that region, there was an estate of a leading citizen of that island whose name was Publius, or however you want to pronounce his name. Just give it your best shot. Who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of this man lay sick of fever with dysteria. So Paul went in to him and he prayed for him. And he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, look at this. The rest of those who lived on this little island who had diseases, also came and they were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as was necessary. They gave them care packages. It's like going to grandma's house. I mean, you know, she's going to send you home with some stuff. Can I get a witness? I mean, and there they leaving this island. They all have these care packages. Guys, get this. Paul was bound up in a storm. And he was blinded by the storm because all he could see is I've got to get to Rome because God said you're going to Rome. But what Paul, when all that Paul could see was Rome, all that Jesus could see was Malta. Had there not been a storm, 
Paul would have sailed right by that little island out there in the middle of the ocean. It was not his destination. Paul's destination was Rome. I'm going to Rome. I'm going to Rome. I'm going to Rome. That's all we hear over the last several chapters of the book of Acts. But God's saying, son, I know you're going to Rome, but there's somebody. There's somebody on the island of Malta. You're trying to get to Caesar, to get to the most powerful man in Rome. But I want you to get to the most powerful man in Malta. And I want to demonstrate my power through your life in the life of the unbeliever that the glory of God may rain down on an island in the middle of the ocean where nobody thinks the glory of God can go where they don't even realize what God is doing and I'm telling you today my friends on the authority of the word of God that when Paul found himself blinded by the storm bound up in the storm God said just wait the storm clouds are gathering for a reason you've been hunkered down for two weeks you've thrown the cargo overboard you've put out the anchors you've shipwrecked your boat into the middle of this island to save your life but I am telling you because there was one reason I moved a whole cargo ship out of the body of water onto dry land because there was people in Malta who needed to hear God and I want you to understand that's called the perfecting storm my friend that God wants to move through the storms in our life I don't care if it's a physical storm a spiritual storm I don't care if it's a health storm a health crisis a marital crisis a financial crisis a parental crisis with your children or your own parents. I want you to know that God wants to work in all of it. He's in the midst of a storm. Nahum chapter 1 says God has His way in the whirlwind and the clouds are the dust of His feet. That's good stuff, isn't it? Amen. The perfecting clouds of victory. The gathering storm clouds of victory. All Paul could see was the in his mind, getting to Rome. But all that God could see was a little cove with a beach head that needed to hear about the wonderful words of Christ. See, my friends, if you're not careful, you will miss the blessing in the middle of the storm. The greatest blessings of my life have come through the greatest trials. I learned this as a child. Though sometimes he leads through waters deep, trials fall across the way. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, see his footprints all the way. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. Mr. William was a great evangelist. Toward the, everywhere he could get, he would go and preach the gospel. Had a young bride and a young child and he left them with his in-laws to go on a preaching campaign. It's going to be gone for six weeks. While he was gone, his in-law's home caught on fire. His young bride and his young boy died in that house fire. William ended up losing his mind, finding himself in a psych hospital. Depression had set in. It was so dark, so bleak. But in the middle of that, Hospital, he wrote those words. 
Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, I see his footprints all the way. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We, we sing, if, if you grew up in the older church model, that's a little old peppy song. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, filled my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. The melody doesn't do merit to the lyrics. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, I see his footprints all the way. Sitting in a mental hospital with the dark clouds of despair hunkering over his life. He said, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, feels my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. I don't know what's going on in your life today. You may be in a storm of your own making. You may have created it. You know, we have a good way of doing that, creating storms and blaming them on God. But I want you to know in the midst of your storm, you're free from all harm because of Jesus. Maybe it's a storm that somebody else created for you. Like Paul. Paul found himself in all these other storms because people were setting traps for him and doing this and he was doing what was right. I'm telling you, just because you're living right, it doesn't mean you're going to escape the storms. It doesn't mean God's going to put you in a little holy bubble and says, let me just float you alone in this bubble of protection till you get to heaven. No. Can I tell you, there's somebody out there that's waiting to pop your bubble and watch you fall flat on your face. Right in the midst of it, he's there. Let me wrap up with this right here. Boy, this is good. Don't, don't, don't leave here today without this. Because your greatest failure may be your greatest triumph. Can I go back? Paul has a little bundle of sticks and wood. and Let me put that on fire. He lays that fresh wood on that fire to warm his cold body. A viper grabs him. And they say, I don't know if it's an old wives' tale, old wives' tale, or whatever it was, a myth. But somehow these people on Malta, I mean, they all immediately knew that if a viper ever comes out of a fire and catches you on the arm, you're a murderer. I, I can't figure all that out, but it was a common, common knowledge among them. And they all, he's a murderer! Oh, he just thought he escaped. Justice is coming to him, buddy. That viper got him. But yet he didn't die. Oh my goodness. He must be a God. Was Paul a murderer? Absolutely he was a murderer. He's the one who said kill Stephen. The first deacon in the book of Acts. Oh wait hold on. He held the jackets. For the, He didn't have to get his hands bloody. He held the jackets for the one who was throwing the rock. Matter of fact, in last week's sermon when Paul was appealing to Agrippa, you remember he said, I was very zealous in religion. Matter of fact, I persecuted all of those who was in the Christian way, going in the way of Christ. Matter of fact, he went this far. He said, when it came time to cast a vote, 
if we should kill them or let them live, those who were believing in Jesus, I always voted to kill them. But he said something happened. I was on the road to Damascus and I was very zealous. And all of a sudden, the light of heaven shone on my life. And a voice came from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, because his name was Saul then, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who is this? And the voice said, it's Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Jesus. 